Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, if you would. Second Timothy chapter 3. I was talking about the reaction to have during terrible times this morning. Talking about the recognition of terrible times 18 times in this passage. You find things that are going to happen. And I believe they will be increasing as we get closer to the rapture. As we see things happening around the world. And many of us are being conscious of that. May we can have the spirit of the Issachar brethren in the Old Testament who had discernment of the times. They understood the times. If we understand the times in these days, in these times, we need recognition. And then what's a response to have during terrible times? I want to skip over a lot of things tonight for sake of time. I want to get down to the last point that I want to make before we go to the house of the Lord willing. Verse 1, chapter 3, this know also in the last days. Perilous times shall come. Read it with me, please. Ready? Verse 1. This know also. May God add his blessings to the reading of the Word of God. Lord, we know the word perilous means dangerous. It means wicked. It means just about everything imaginable that's bad. And it's happening all around the world. And Lord, as perplexity is set in and confusion and the hard times, difficult times, the stressful times, and many folks are going through battles of their life. Sometimes we face things we've never faced before, and there is a warfare going on in the heavenlies, and the devil is ahead of that, and all the demons of hell, I believe, are at attention and trying to do what they can to do havoc to the cause of Christ, to cause confusion and doubts and problems and difficulties in our individual lives as well as our church lives, and he never, he never is off duty. He's always on, the, always on the job. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you, that the will of God can be accomplished in our lives Help us not to give up. Help us not to give out. Help us not to give in. Let's stay in the battle until the Lord calls. Lord, I pray for fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit tonight upon my life. I yield myself the best way I know how. I trust you'll get some glory out of what I say tonight. I leave the results up to you. Pray for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we'll thank you for what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The reaction to have in terrible days is good news, I said this morning. I'm glad the Lord Jesus is going to come again, but we need to know the days. How do we react in terrible times? I said two things this morning. We mustn't be surprised. He said this, no. I want you to know. Paul said to Timothy, I want the church to know. At Ephesus, I want the church to know. I want to know, then to know. These are perilous days. They were perilous days then, can you imagine how perilous they are today? Acts 14, 22. They entered into tribulation as they went on the missionary journeys. The Bible says they entered into tribulation. In this world, you will have trials, tribulation, heartaches, and pain. In this world, you will suffer as a Christian. And that's a wonderful thought when reading out of Peter this morning. There will be times you will suffer because you're a Christian. How many here in this room today have ever been cussed at because you tried to witness to them? Somebody forget. Raise your hand. How many have had a door slammed in your face? Has, 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 has anybody ever beat you up? Have you ever thought about beating somebody else up? <laughs> I've told you about George Tokosh. We grew up around him. He's an old Hungarian guy. And he went to Dad's church there in West Virginia where Roger pastor for many years at Cranberry. He was a miner, a coal miner. But he got saved. I mean, he got a good dose. One of those kind of doses that just he wasn't ashamed of Jesus. He couldn't talk good English, 
So he'd go back in those mines and he'd start witnessing those guys. Me want to tell you about Jesus, what he's done in my life. I just want you to know what he's done in my life. And they just got tired of hearing they cuss him out and tell him to shut up. And finally one guy he was witnessing to just took a mouthful of spittle and spit right in his face. George Tokosh testified. He said, I took my hand and I wiped it off. And I said, me still love you. And me still want to see you saved. That's tough to do. Oh, you say, I could do that. It takes the grace of God to turn the other cheek sometimes. It takes more grace than we might imagine to be able to live the Christian life. By grace are you saved. By grace shall you live. By grace shall you die. And sometimes we just need some fresh grace. And what we need tonight in our lives is some fresh grace from Almighty God. The unmerited favor of God that's given to us from His bountiful hand by His bountiful mouth as He gives to us the greatness of His love that's just sung about. I'm grateful that God's a wonderful God. But we mustn't be surprised if somebody's going to mistreat us or say something unkind. I'm not saying you should not defend your family. But I am saying that sometimes you can turn the other cheek, especially when somebody's witnessing to you. I believe that's Bible somewhere along the way to turn the other cheek. That's not easy. It's not been easy for me over the years. Somebody cusses me, and I've got to walk away and say, Lord, they're not cussing me. They're cussing you. I leave the vengeance with you, Lord, because you're able to do that. I like that scripture I was talking about the other day in the book of Psalms. I forget which chapter it was when David, whoever wrote that psalm, told God to break their arms. Isn't that good? God, take care of God. Punch them out for us. You take care of the problems. It's not our place to try to beat people up. It's our place to love folks. And Christians will suffer persecution. We mustn't be surprised. Even though we want it to be good and kind and be like heaven, it's not going to be like heaven until we get to heaven. We can have a little foretaste of glory divine, but we won't enjoy what heaven's really like until we get there. Revelation 21.4, when all the tears are wiped away, no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. No more troubles, no more tribulation, no more persecution. It's all going to be behind us and behind the plan of God. And we're going to enter into the joys of the Lord to be with Him forever. Revelation 21, 4 and chapter 22, the whole story about the heavenly places we're headed for. So we mustn't be surprised. Number two, we must know the times. Know the times. And you do that by taking the scripture, this know also. He says, I want you to know, I don't want you to be ignorant. Several times in the Bible says, let's not be ignorant. That a man not be ignorant. He needs to know, have knowledge. And when he's got knowledge that things are going around him and they look like they're out of control, look like the world is spinning on a top, it looks like this complexity and perplexity and heartache and problems everywhere you look, just remember there's a God above all that. And there's a God who sees everything that's happening, knows everything that's happening, knows every enemy that we're facing, and he still, how many times we say this? God is in control. God is in control. Sometimes we say that, and then when things get out of control, we say, where's God? Now, we may not say it out loud, but we have some doubts about where God's at. He's the same place He's always been. He has not vacated His throne. He has not abdicated it to anybody else. He is the Lord God, sovereign God, sitting on the throne of the universe. He never makes any mistakes. He knows everything's going on. He knows the first from the last, the, first, the beginning to the ending. He is Alpha and Omega, knows exactly where we're at on camp. Right on camp. We're right on time with God. In times like these, what we need is just a Savior. In times like these, we just need to trust Him and say, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm going to know the facts, and when they happen around me, I'm going to say to God be the glory. We're closer home than we've ever been before. Wouldn't it be good if we started shouting because we've been persecuted? You said you can't do that. They did in the book of Acts. 
They come home rejoicing that they were suffering for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we got together after having a visitation and got some persecution. We come back in and say, boy, I really, it was tough today. Somebody almost slapped my face and I had a rough time. And you all pray for me that I can endure to the end, <laughs> that I can make it in visitation. They come back rejoicing and praising God that they can suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us suffer much? Most of us suffer very little for the cause of Christ. But we mustn't be surprised and we must know the facts and we know the times need to be taught to our church folks. So when you read the next several verses, and I'll not take time to do that tonight, you can read it yourself. We come back to it. Every one, every sentence is a sermon. You have two problems in the recognition of the of the signs of the times in this passage in the perilous days. You have them lovers of themselves and lovers of sin. Those two things pop up all the way through. Lovers of sin and lovers of self. And the Bible says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. I said I wasn't going to read it, but just well read, read it while I'm reading it. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure. You have lovers of themselves and then lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof from such turn away. So what am I supposed to do? Turn away from it. Knowing the facts, knowing what they are, knowing what God says. I'm not to get bogged down in my serving the Lord. I'm not to get discouraged in my serving the Lord. If I do get discouraged, I need to get up. You may be down. I like, I don't never, I say I like it. I've watched it over the years. How many of you did wrestling in high school? You wrestled. Anybody? Alan, you wrestled. Was you good? I didn't think he was, but I just wanted to see what you said. Anybody else wrestle in high school? Anybody wrestled outside of high school? <laughs> Anybody like wrestling on television? Now, how many likes the real good stuff where it looks like it's choreographing it? Jumping on somebody, slapping the tar out of them, kicking them in the, kicking them in the rear end, throwing them over the shoulders, throwing them like a bag of beans or something around. Well, good wrestling probably is one of the things that's always interesting. And you get a count of three. And uh, the enemy has got you down. He got your shoulder on the mat. And the referee, one, two. And then that shoulder comes back up like that. And it pushes back up again. Slaps that guy in the face. And you jump on him and then get him down. And again, on the count of three. One, two. Uh, and that shoulder comes back up again. They go on for about 30 minutes wrestling each other. The devil may have me down, but I'm not out. The devil may sometimes put pressure on me, but I'm not out yet. Right. You know why I'm not out? Because God's on my side. Better still, I'm on his side. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And sometimes we get down low and we wonder what the world, what's going to happen next and where this old thing's going. Seems like it's going to blow up. We was talking about it a while ago. Brother Lynn and I talking about the people who have their fingers on the nuclear bombs uh, of the world. I mean, one crazy guy <laughs> uh, could start a nuclear war. And I don't think the world's going to end that way. But it could do a devastating harm to a lot of people, just with wrong people pushing the wrong buttons at the wrong time. In case you don't know, we got some real idiots out there. We got some real, I, I think some people got the gift of stupidity. I mean, they have no common sense in America. We're going down the sin route more and more. Then we've got some folks who just don't have no common sense at all about what may happen to the world if somebody pushes the wrong button. It ain't going to be fun, folks. It's going to be devastating. And you go back to the dropping of the A-bomb years ago uh, when that happened and how devastating it was to not only those people 
in killing all of them, but also the whole world affected by it. But yet we won the war, and we're grateful for that. So you find in this passage a lot of things that you can recognize as signs are going to be increased. So don't get upset if people love pleasure more than that. Don't get upset because they love themselves. Don't get upset because they do stupid things or dumb things or crazy things. Their heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And when your heart is deceitful above all things, you'll do things that you probably wouldn't imagine you'd ever do. I can't imagine some things I'm hearing about transgender. It blows my mind. I mean, I'm a country boy. Come up, come up out of West Virginia and, and uh, maybe a little naive on some things. I just can't believe any guy, man, wants to go in a woman's bathroom or a woman wants to go in a man's bathroom. That, to me, is stupid. And if they don't understand that word, it means dumb, crazy. It means don't use the S word. I'm using the S word. Don't stop me from using the S word. They're stupid. They got a sin problem. They need Christ. Little kids are being devastated and ruined. Their lives have been ruined forever by surgery and by other means. And stand back and wonder how in the world could anybody, anywhere, anytime, want to do that plus a doctor or a nurse or a parent would give permission or even if they knew it was going to happen and could not do everything they could to stop it from happening. To devastate and ruin young lives is almost an amazing thought. And the devil has pulled the guns out of hell. He's pulled the cannons out of hell. And he's directed them at young people. And he's out to ruin, wreck, and destroy their life with everything he's got in his mind. If he can capture a generation of young people, he's got the world. Even the communists said that years ago. If we have children until they're six or seven, they'll be that way the rest of their life. May God help us tonight. The recognition of terrible times. The darkest hour is right before dawn. Someone said that and how true it is. The darkest hour is right before dawn. The personal traits that we read in this passage, the impersonal relationships that take place against other folks like parents and loved ones and so forth, and the things of religious darkness have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The impersonal traits, the personal traits I'm not going to talk about tonight, Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, savage-like, wicked, despisers of those who are good, heroes or rock stars, not men of God. Greatest heroes you can have are godly men, godly women who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have rock stars and as our heroes. By the way, all those rock stars who are heroes are zeros in my book and with the edge kicked out. Just a bunch of, did I use the word stupid while ago? Forgive me if I'm overusing it. They, they just, it's sad of some of the rock stars we've got on the, on the horizon. I uh, thought about it a while ago. I like rock and roll music. How about you? Amen. Rock of ages, clip for me. Let me hide myself in thee. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. As the ages roll. I like good gospel music, but I'm telling you, uh, rock and roll is born in hell, goes, needs to go back to hell. And most of the country music does, does the same thing, a message of adultery and drinking and carousing and all that goes with it. You say, well, I listen to it. It don't affect me like rock music. It affects you worse than rock music. Because yeah. you can understand the lyrics more than you can on some music. May God hit that's not my message either. I just want to get to my closing. I love to close. It takes me about an hour to close. Amen. We have a society with a sin problem, have a love problem. People love self. People love money. People don't love, really love people like they ought to. People love pleasure. People fail to love God. People are loving the wrong things and consumed with the wrong things. But I want to talk about the response of terrible things that's happening on the earth. There is a command, he said, says, turn away. Turn away. Preacher, it's a, the world's terrible. We'll turn away from it. 
I don't like what's happening, then I can turn my head away from it as, as it relates to, I don't have to enjoy it. I don't have to be embracing it. I don't have to condone it. I can preach against it, but walk away from it. I don't want to become part of the problem. I want to become part of the, the answer to the problem and the gospel can solve problems. These people need Christ as much as some of us who lived like that before in de debauchery and in sinful lifestyle. But he says, from such turn away. They have a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. From such turn away. And those religiosity people who are so wrapped up in their own religion of works trying to solve the world by feeding somebody or taking care of somebody. It's good to take care of folks. It's good to have pantries. It's good to have clothes to give. It's good to give food. But if you don't give food to people with the right motive, I want to give you this food in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know we're helping you because of Jesus Christ. They need to know the real reason for it. Just don't give out money and pass out money and pass out food and pass out clothes and pass out shelter and say, well, we want you to enjoy this. It's a gift from us. This is a gift to tell you that God loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, uh, you can't describe the love of God. It's written on the on the parched skies of heaven and it rained the ocean dry as they sang about a while ago. I'm glad for the love of God. The love of God needs to be displayed by lip and by life and by gifts. The other folks can know Christ. Brother Preacher was with us. Brother Bombeck, Dombeck? Dombeck. Dombeck. I called him several things while he was here. Dombeck. He said sometimes he likes to go so, he goes so winning he puts on a white shirt and black pants and goes down the street knocking on doors and folks will say, we don't want Jehovah Witnesses talking to us. He said, he said, I'm not a Jehovah Witness. Well, you dress like one. So he started wearing a white shirt, black pants, and a ball cap. And they said, are you a Jehovah Witness? He said, Jehovah Witnesses don't wear ball caps. I mean, they're out there with sharp looking, you know, just a tie and a coat and a pair of pants on. So he said, I just started wearing me a ball cap so I could witness to them. They know I'm not a Jehovah Witness now, so I can use that for introduction when they accuse me of being a Jehovah Witness. Now, Jehovah Witnesses are busy. They're up and about the, their father's business. And they're, they're, they're God. And they're busy knocking on doors. How many ever had a Jehovah Witness knock on your door? Raise your hand. Well, hold them real high. How many doors you knocked on? Who was I sharing with a while ago? Jack Ben MP said that the Jehovah Witnesses work so hard to save from so little because they don't believe in eternal hell. And we work so little to save from so much. It's amazing. They are with the right methodology. They just got the wrong message. <coughs> May God help us to have the right message in telling folks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we must be distinct from the world. The Bible says, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I, I, my mind went blank just now. What's that scripture say? What's the first word of chapter 12? Well, I'll turn there and read it if you don't help me. What is it? Hey, real loud. I beseech there it is. I knew it was coming. Boy, just to come to me in Revelation. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Keep that in mind for conclusion just a moment. What kind of sacrifice is it? It's to be a personal sacrifice. He says, present yourself personally a sacrifice to God. Has there ever been a time you surrendered yourself to God? Now, I'm talking maybe in addition to salvation. You can do it the day you're saved, but most folks somewhere along the way, after they get saved, they surrender themselves to do the will of God the rest of their life. You better be careful about making surrenders. 
be careful when you make a decision for Christ. See, you don't need to come back and surrender and surrender and surrender. You need to come back to the altar and, re- and remind yourself of the surrender that you made to God. Does that make sense? There were sometimes somebody says, I want to surrender my life to God again. No, you've already done that. You said, Here, here's my hand, here's my feet, here's my eyes, here's my mouth, here's my body. It belongs to you, Lord, and I want it to be permanent. It is a permanent sacrifice. And I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercy of God that you present, means to offer yourself. A total surrender is better than a repeated rededication. Let me say that again. A total surrender is better than a repeated rededication. And so when you come down to rededicate your life, you just remind yourself, I did that 10 years ago. Oh, I remember when I got on my knees and said, Lord, just not my life, it's yours. I surrender everything I have to you. And you're reminding yourself of a surrender. And the Ecclesiastes says it's better not to make a vow than to make one and break it. God keeps the record. There have been some times we broke some vows. Now, let's be honest, nobody here except us. How many of you have ever broken a vow to God? Raise your hand. He didn't take that lightly. In my life, nor your life. And there's been some times I have regretted not doing what I told God I was going to do. I got convicted yesterday and bothered me. I was coming to, over here to pray and, and uh, there's two, guy, two guys sitting and I was going to give them a track. And it, I mean, it was, it was just like you'd give them a track. And I could have and I have in the past given tracks like that. But I walked on by, got in the car and drove down the road. And boy, it was like God just sort of slapped me around a little bit. How come you didn't pass out those tracks I told you to? Now you say, preacher, does God talk to you audibly? He's never talked to me audibly in my life. But there is a Holy Ghost of God who lives on the inside of me. And He is the third member of the Godhead, the person of God. And God dwells in me. I can't explain that, how God can come to dwell in my life. And I can't explain salvation. I can't explain how He does what He does. I can't explain how He saves me and how He's going to take me to heaven, to a place I've never been. Just by faith, I believe that. But sometimes it's just an impression that God gives on your mind that you ought to do something. Be very sensitive to the Holy Ghost of God. He may lead you in a way that you may not be, you may be surprised or you may not be surprised. But sometimes we turn away from folks that God's trying to place us in their path to help them along life's journey. Somebody one time, and you may have been guilty, not guilty, but maybe a volunteer who gave your kidney to help save somebody else's life. You've got two kidneys and somebody in your family needed a kidney. How many would you would give up a kidney? I think when you look at your children, grandchildren, somebody dear and precious to you, it probably wouldn't take much hesitation. They said, this little child of yours is going to die unless they have a kidney. And if there's a way to get a transplant from somebody, it would be great. I don't know how all that matches up, but I think all of us are willing to help somebody. But when you give somebody a kidney, that's a, that's a permanent thing. And you may have another one and thank God for that. But when you give kidney out of love, you make a permanent sacrifice to God. No turning back. I mean, we hooked up the machine. The kidney's going to be taken out of you and given to somebody else. And so it is with that kind of Christianity, a permanent sacrifice that we're willing to offer to God. Total surrender is better than repeated rededication. Come to altar any time. I think it's good to come to the altar. I think it's good to come and pray. I think it's a good place to bend your knee or bend your heart. We often say here at the church, as you get older and as some of us can't kneel like we used to, I miss those days. I miss those days. And sometimes when you get down and try to get on your knees, it's hard to get back up and you can't finally do it. It's not the position of the body. Come and sit on the pew if you have to. Come and stand if you have to. Lay on the floor if you want to. But you need to submit yourself to God. And coming to an altar is a very important part of a Christian's life. God wants you. As a matter of fact, He wants you to be dedicated to Him. 
It's a personal sacrifice. It's personal, permanent, and personal. It's a permanent sacrifice. I'm laying my body on the altar for God. It's my body. It's my body that needs to be laid on the altar for God. A personal sacrifice. A permanent sacrifice. God wants you. He don't want your money. Somebody says, God wants my money. God don't want your money. I'll amplify on that in just a minute. Well, God wants my time. He don't want your time. God wants my talent. God don't want your talent. He got angels saying better than you can. Right. Yeah. Well, what's he want? I'll tell you what he wants. He wants you. Because right. if he gets you, he'll get you money. Right. Amen. We got so many tight rods in Christian living. They're just tight. I mean, that's just it's terrible. But I don't have any money, but they can go out and eat. You go out to the restaurant and eat. It'll cost you 20 bucks, probably feed two, maybe 30, just to, just to eat a normal meal. And we've we got to take time for that because that's it. But do you take God's money? Do you take the, the money that ought to belong to God and use it on yourself? I used to tell we'd be getting your hair fixed. Get your hair fixed every week. Don't use God's tithe. He's liable to pull that hair out of your head. You like to be bald head before the sun comes up. Now, God's not mean, but I'm telling you, tithing is important. He don't need your money. I mean, the love of money is the root of all evil. God don't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the hills. He owns the taters and the golds in the hills, the gold and silver in the hills. God's not bankrupt. He has it all at his disposal. God is wealthy because he owns it all, and the earth and the fullness thereof, everything belongs to God. So when he asks for a sacrifice, he's going to ask for you necessary to bring some gift, even though we use it that way. If he gets you, he'll get the other to follow in the proper sequence of time as God supplies and works on your needs. And as you pray and seek the face of God, he doesn't need my time. He owns it all. All 24 hours in a day, all 168 hours in a week belongs to God. And what I do with those 160, I'm to be a good steward of it, however I'm supposed to live. I can waste my time or live for God. My time ought to count for God. There's things that we need to do because we're just normally in, in living status. You've got to go to work. You've got to eat. You've got to go to bed. Sometimes you've got to take care of business. There's things God wants us to do because that's part of life. But all that time belongs to God. And how much time do we give Him actually? Ere you left your room this morning, did you take time to pray? Have you spent time this evening just reading this Holy Scriptures from time to time? See, it's easy to get critical of yourself and critical of yourself. other folks when you look around if you find your own heart not being mellowed and tenderized by God's wonderful spirit. And one of the best things in the world is just start reading the Bible. Just read it. You say, I don't understand it. Read it. There's just so much I don't understand. Read it. Read the things. You'll find some things you will understand. Amen. Some things are so deep you never completely grasp them. But I mean, when it says, for God so loved the world, that's pretty simple. Well, what's the word for me? Preposition. Preposition for God. Who's God? Well, He's the Creator, the Sustainer, Redeemer of our life. He's God Almighty. For God so. What's so? It's, it's a, an adjective. So great. I mean, it's hard to describe it. For God so loved. Do you want to take the word love, whether it's agape we use for God, or whether it's filio, the word love, or eros, or whatever word you're using, but for God so loved the world is agape love. It's God's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and thank God for the willingness that we have to have God to want us to be able to be used in the kingdom of God. I didn't receive anything from God unless God allowed me to have it. And God's been gracious to me and gracious to you. It's a personal sacrifice. It's a permanent sacrifice. 
It's a physical sacrifice. He wants your bodies. When you got saved, He gave Him your you give Him your soul. When you get when you get saved and you present your surrender, you're surrendering your body. Here's my body. Let it be completely surrendered to Thee. My body is not my own. The temple of the Holy Ghost of God. First Corinthians six nine through twenty. Six Romans six three talks about yielding your body unto the Lord. A physical sacrifice. It makes more sense when you say spirit or soul, but when he says, I want your body. I want you. I want all that you are. Some think they can do what they can do without surrendering it to God. He wants this tongue of mine. I probably get more trouble over my tongue than any place else. I say things sometimes I ought not say. Sometimes I can come across wrong. I don't want to be like that. I'd like to be firm and stern in my conversation and be like the Lord Jesus Christ but I don't want to use the wrong kind of language on my tongue. You ever said something you know was wrong and God just convicted you right quickly of it? And you knew you said it? Boy, quickly confess it. Keep short sin accounts. But that sacrifice of your tongue, your feet, your hands, bring your body and let God clean you up. And lastly, it's a practical sacrifice. So it's a permanent sacrifice. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, offer your bodies. It's permanent. Then when you go back to the altar to rededicate your life, you're saying, Lord, remind, you reminded me of that surrender morning I made. I made a surrender to God, and I'm sorry I've let you down. And that's revival spirit when you begin to confess your sins and get right with the Lord. That personal sacrifice, it's your personal. Everybody's an individual. We're all different. We all have different abilities. We have different talents. God can use us in various ways, but we're all available to make ourselves available to God. And the greatest ability in the world is availability. That physical sacrifice, my literal body, he wants. I don't take care of as much as I ought to. I could work extra hard and take care of my body. I've been reminded how frail it is in recent years. And I remind myself over and over again as I get older, this old house ain't what she used to be. And so little by little, God will use every bit, every bit of the strength you have. There comes a time when your strength will be gone and you'll have nothing left. This inspiration, you just sang a song, He gave me my first breath, I'll give him my last. Wouldn't it be good to come down to die and say, Lord, I love you. We was able to visit Brother Allen yesterday as others have visited over the months. And he sits there and claps his hand and shouts a while and praises the Lord and, and testifies. And he said, I want to tell you how I got saved. I've heard it 50 times. I've heard it 100 times. He come by the office before church, always come early, always come early. He come in the door saying, well, glory to God. Hallelujah. And he sat down. He says, Boy, I tell you, I'm glad I got saved. Born again. And he tells me the testimony. I've heard it hundreds of times, at least a hundred times. <coughs> he may have dementia, but he loves telling it whether he got dementia or not. It's real to him. Well, it ought to be with us to, to realize that we've got our bodies, and he, he can't eat except through his stomach, and uh, he can't swallow food because he go to his lungs and kill him. But he gets, he's able to move around right now. And I was kidding about going to the mailbox. He went to the mailbox seven times. And the mailbox is way out on the road. It's a pretty good distance from his house. But he walks it very slowly and tenderly. He goes to the mailbox every day, seven times during the day. Well, I was coming out of his place where he abides. And there's a little, Tommy was with me, a little mailbox, about a regular mailbox on the banister. Just like a regular mailbox. And I said, Brother Allen, you've been telling us you've been walking way over there. You ain't walking nowhere. You've been walking outside your door to that mailbox. You said you've been walking to the mailbox every day. And he just laughed. He said, those are letters from my daughter. 
they bring put my put mail in my box so I can get the messages sometimes that I need. Some mail that comes by the you know by the mail carrier. But he says I walk seven times every day, weather permitting, to the mailbox. He said I'm so glad I got two legs to walk. I'm glad I got a tongue to be able to speak, and though they can't already understand what he's saying, I'm just saying. And we left talking about it. He's going to use his body for the day he dies. Still using it. And I'm not saying this to pin roses on Brother Allen. If you ever go to his place, he's got prayer cards all across the ceiling. Every note probably he's ever gotten that's of interest to him, he puts it on the on the ceiling of his mobile home or camper. He's got cards here and cards, message here, message there, all these things. And he knows, he said, preacher, i got a picture of you. That's a blessing to have a picture of me. Always a blessing. I'm sure that would make him well. It may make him sick look at that picture. But he's got pictures of people. He's got letters from folks. He just simply rejoices in the blessings of the Lord. And he says, I pray for those folks as they come to my attention. And I'm so, everybody, missionary, he's got a card for everybody that's ever come to our church, a missionary card that he uses regularly. So I want to commend him tonight publicly. He's on his last battle unless God intervenes. But he's going out with a good fight. I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished the course. I said, quote us a verse of scripture before we pray. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He went through those six verses. And by the way, he can't read or write. He couldn't for a long time. It's been marvelously to see the hand of God work in his life. But that physical sacrifice, your body, practical it ought to be. Would you die for Jesus? Now let's put it right down and make the application. we go to the house just a minute. Would you die for Jesus? If a shotgun was put to your head to say words like this, do you love God? Would you say yes, knowing that the guy on the other end of that shotgun may blow your brains out? Oh, it's easy to say I'll do it. 1999, many of you remember the story if you got any age on you. Columbine High School massacre took place. Eleven students and one teacher died at the end of two young men dressed in black long coats with shotguns in their hand who detested Christianity. They both died in their own hand. But the question they would ask those that they were about to shoot, do you believe, do you love God? Do you love God? If you said yes, they'd blow you into eternity. If you said no, they'd spare you. He came to one, Cassie Bernal, 15 years of age. She says, I just can't live without Jesus. My life was messed up till some time ago. I was going the wrong path, and I met Jesus Christ, and my whole life was changed in a split second. I trusted the Lord, and my life changed. She said, I'm not perfect, but I love God. And there on that particular day, she was hiding under a desk, and her assailant came by and pulled the shotgun down and said, do you love God? Now decision time's coming. Fifteen years of age, maybe 16. Beautiful young lady. She looked out from under that desk, the story says, and says, I love God. That's the last thing she remembers, the last thing she ever heard. She was in eternity with a shotgun wound that killed her. Her mother said and buried her in a white coffin, and the attendees at her funeral, her pastor called in a marriage to Christ that he could sign the affidavit. He said because of the fact she, her mother wrote these words, Buddy Rebbit, 
my friend, my buddy, my daughter, my mentor. I will love you and miss you forever. I miss taking care of your kitty. I know that Jesus elated to have you in His presence. Your courage and commitment to Christ have gained you a special place in heaven. And I'm proud to call you my daughter. I love you, Cassie, very much. Your mom. She was so active in the youth group at her family church. She was profoundly moved by some of the books on discipleship that she studied. She was well aware of her own imperfections and knowing that she was not perfect. She tried to be as perfect as she possibly could. The last thing that she would call herself was a saint. But the person who faced the killer on that fateful day, April of 1999, was a radically different person than she had been just a few years before that when she was going her own path, living in her own life and going down the wrong path until she met the Lord, her own testimony. In fact, in a note written to a friend that night before she was killed, was handed to her friend the next morning at school. Cassie said, Honestly, I want to live completely for God. Sort of hard sometimes, sort of scary, but it's totally worth it. A few hours later, she was in the glory world. Ladies and gentlemen, am I willing to give my life? If a 15-year-old would say I love God in the face of knowing she could be blown to bits, would I do it? Oh, we talk about our courage. Sometimes we're scaredy cats, are we not? Sometimes we're mouth and not all heart. Would you pray for me that I have more courage? Could I pray for you in these latter days? These terrible times. But the Lord's coming. And the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to be with Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And He says, Comfort one another with these words. You know what kept the early church going? Maranatha. Maranatha. The Lord's coming. Maranatha. 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 And from the lips of this humble preacher tonight, I'm not all I ought to be. Maranatha, stay in the battle. Don't quit on God. He never quit on you. He went all the way to Calvary and took an old rugged cross and nailed your sins to the cross of Calvary and one drop of that blood was for you. Don't quit on God. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Thank you for your kind attention. You may need to come to the altar tonight to rededicate to the surrender you made before. Or maybe you need to come and just get saved and right with God. God loves you and He's waiting on you and waiting on your life response. He wants you as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. There's only been one of those that really mattered. <coughs> and that was Jesus Christ. But He wants us to be a living sacrifice, to live for God all the days of our life. May it count for Christ. If you need to come for any reason, just to pray for somebody else, get a burden on your heart, Maybe the devil's been giving you a fit. You just want to come and say, Lord, I surrender again. I remember when I surrendered, I rededicate my life to God afresh tonight. I just need you in these days. Whatever the need, you be obedient to the Lord God Almighty and see what happens in your life. Father, bless the invitation now. In Jesus' name.